Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Amen. Praise God. So we've been teaching this uh, for, this is the third week, the truth will make you free. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you want to turn there, as he was teaching, many Jews believed on him, it says in verse 30. And then he said in verse 31, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Praise God. So there's a process. We talked about that process. Number one, you got to believe on Jesus. He is the truth. Believe the word of God. It is the truth. Number two, continue in the word of God. You know, a lot of people start out, but a lot of people don't continue. You know, I started in a Bible study 45 years ago and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Started believing the full gospel. And there's a lot of people that were in that Bible study that don't even serve God, that don't even believe God. They heard the same message that I did, but it's what you do with you got to continue in it. And I've continued in it. And I, listen, it, my life just keeps getting better. It's awesome. And it's not like I haven't had a few challenges. We've had plenty of challenges, but we just keep passing, passing them up and keep believing and seeing what God promised come to pass. Amen. So you, you believe the word, you continue in the word, and he said the word, the truth of the word will make you free. We talked about the parable of the sower, and Jesus said everything in the kingdom works like this parable. And you know, with the parable of the sower, there is seed, time, and harvest. And you're all receiving harvest. If you don't like the harvest that you're receiving, you got to change what you're believing. you got to change what you're allowing to remain in your heart. And what you allow to remain in your heart will produce a harvest. Praise God. Amen? Then we talked about, as Jesus said that, you know what? They were religious. And as religious people, they said, we're Abraham's servant in verse 33 and verse 34, and we've never been in bondage to any man. And Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Do you know, as good Jews, they had studied the Word of God. And the, the Bible actually says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that by the law is the knowledge of sin. Did you know what? A knowledge of sin will not make you free from sin. Just knowing the law will not make you free. It can show you sin, but it doesn't have the power to free you from sin. Only Jesus can free you from sin. And so he said, and that he said, as we go on, I'll just read the verses there. In verse uh, 34, he said, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Sin will make you a slave. They understood that. So they were saying they're free, but Jesus said, you're sinners. They knew that because the law convicted them of their sin. So Jesus showed them that they need to be free from sin, but they not, need not only to be free from sin, they also need to be free from the law or legalism. Right? And he talked about that in verse 35. He went on to say, the servant does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides you forever. The law will make you a slave. See, if you really begin to understand the scripture of the Old Testament, right? The law makes you a slave. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. You become friends, but you go on to the epistles, and you become the sons and daughters of God. You're no more a servant, but a son. So it's slavery, sonship, amen, slavery, friendship, sonship. Praise God. 
And when you get a picture of that, it changes your life. But you get free, praise God. And so Jesus talked about the way you get free from sin is through the gospel, through righteousness. It's righteousness that makes you free from sin. The revelation of the gospel is the revelation of righteousness, the revelation of who you are and what you have in Christ. Amen? But not only do you need free from that, you need to also be free from the law. And so then he went on to say this in verse 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. In other words, Jesus is the only one that can bring true freedom. Nobody else could bring you into this freedom. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one who brings true freedom. So Jesus set us free so that we could live the free life. And so we begin to talk about freedom from sin a little bit. We talked about freedom from law. But I want to go on and read just a little bit today in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He calls legalism, he calls law-keeping a, a yoke of bondage. And so he says, it is for freedom. One translation says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Another translation says it this way, Christ set us free to live the free life. He wants you to live the free life. You don't have to do this. You get to do this. As you read on through this, you find out that you're free to live, you're free to love, you're free to serve, you're free to forgive, and you're free to give. That's Galatians chapter 5 and 6. Amen? So thank God he said it's free to live the free life. Now Paul goes on. Look at what he says in verse 2. But I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. If you are trusting your circumcision, if you are trusting your law-keeping, if you are trusting your performance for righteousness, he says Christ will profit you nothing. You're going to miss out on the blessings if you're trying to trust in your own works other than just simply trust Jesus. Then he says this in verse 3, For I testify again to everyone who is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. The problem with law-keeping is you have to keep it all. Right? And nobody has ever kept the whole law. In fact, I've just finished planting about 400 pounds of grass seed out here on the north hills and the side hill and behind the church, probably more than that when it was all said and done. And you know the law says, a lot of you think of the law as the Ten Commandments, but there's more than the ten. There's another 620 that go with them. And one thing that the law says is you don't sow your field with mingled seed. So when I planted this grass out here, listen, I planted all kinds of different grass. Amen. We have a guy that serves here at the church, and he runs a lawn care business, and he was given about 180 pounds of seed. So he gave me that. I gave him a donation for it, praise God. But it had all kinds of grass, amen? And then we had some fescue grass, and we had some rye grass, different things that grow good. We had some prairie grass of different kinds. Do you know what? I just took it and mixed it all up in a bucket and scattered it out. You know, we got grass that greens up in the spring and grass that greens up in the summer and grass that greens up in the fall. It should look good all the time. <laughs> Praise God. And you know, it's not like we haven't tried. When we bought this in 2017, we tried to plant grass and Tanya was here and I about killed her off one day. And we were out here and we were just raking and acting like 
I don't know. I don't know what I was even thinking. But we planted all this grass, and we tried to water it up, and I spent $3,000 on the water bill in one month, and we got almost zero grass. <laughs> and so, but Daryl's like, if you plant this strip in between the sidewalk and the deal, that'll look good. And, you know, I went out there and scattered it in there, and we could water that. And we got the water going, the lightning hit the water, and with COVID, it was hard to get it fixed, the control panels. But anyway, we got that fixed, and so I started watering that. And then, you know, we planted the back, and we dusted it in over behind the chapel. And I had some of the boys help me, and we got that all seeded. And it Wednesday night, and we either planted that on Monday or Tuesday before the rain, but Wednesday night it started raining, and it rained all night Wednesday while we were in church, all day Thursday, all night Thursday night, and all day, or, or all night Thursday night, and it quit Friday morning. And I came over Friday morning, I texted Damon Peterson, at 6 a.m., and I said, Damon, I'm going to the church, and I'll be there by 7, and if your two boys want to come work, they can come help me. And so uh, he said, they'll be there So by 7. So I was over here before 7. I got ready, and you know what? We, I got a harrow, and we harrowed that. I got, we got a four-wheeler and a one-section harrow. We harrowed that all up. It's like a giant rake. And, and then I went, and I hand-seeded all this out here, and we planted nearly 400 pounds of grass seed just that day. And man, those boys worked like mad. Damon said they went and sat in the hot tub and they were sore. But man, they were good workers. I shook so much grass seed out with my hand, the next day I could hardly pick, pick you know, I got, my hand hurt. But you know what? I didn't just plant one kind of grass seed. I planted all kinds of seed. And if I was trying to trust the law to be saved, did you know what? I could not be saved because I planted all this grass out here and I got mingled seed. Praise God. You know, I got socks on that are made out of polyester and cotton, and I couldn't be saved today because I was wearing these socks. In the law, you got to wear, your garments have to be of one kind of material because it's got to be pure. Lord, I am not trying to keep the law to be saved. In fact, James chapter 2 verse 10 says, if you, if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. And a lot of people think, well, I could, I could live right. You know, and Jesus in John or Mark chapter 10 there was a rich young ruler, and he came to Jesus. He said, how can I get eternal life? And uh, Jesus said, well, what did Moses say? And he said, well, I've kept all of Moses from my youth up. And he was a rich young ruler. Do you know what? Keeping God's words good for you. Do you know Jesus said, well, you only lack one thing. He said, go take what you got, sell it, and give it to the poor. And it wasn't, you know, that, that was the very first commandment. Don't have any other gods before me. Jesus didn't care that he had wealth. What Jesus really cared about is that his wealth had him. And Jesus wasn't, the, but the first commandment, he said, I've kept it all. I've kept all 630. Jesus said, no, you haven't even kept number one of the big 10, let alone the 620 that go with them. And if you're trusting your performance, you're guilty. I'm just telling you, you're guilty. And you know what? I believe in doing the right thing. I believe in legislating good and good government, godly government, so on and so forth. But you cannot legislate righteousness. You know, James 1 verse 20 says, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And when you read there in James chapter 2, uh, if you just go over there really quickly, James chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, where James is talking about this, and James said, whoever keeps the whole law yet offends in one point, he's guilty of it all. Listen, if I was trusting my performance for my salvation, I failed the day I planted that grass. I failed this morning when I put on my socks. 
He said for, he says, he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not kill. If you commit no adultery, yet if you murder, you're still a transgressor of the law. So speak you, look at this in verse 12. This is powerful. And so do you as those who will be judged by the law, uh, law of liberty. The, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And you know, we all get legalistic about certain things, but we need to get over our legalism. And we need to get a hold of the grace of God and love people and, you know, speak and do as those judged by the law of liberty. He goes on in verse 13, says, For he will have judgment without mercy who showed no mercy. Man, some of you are so critical and you're always looking for something wrong. If you look for something wrong, you find it. You're going to get judgment without mercy because you showed no mercy. But he says this, mercy rejoices against judgment. God's mercy is greater than his judgment. You know, we need to be like God. We need to be merciful. He is merciful to our unrighteousness. Our sins and iniquities, he remembers no more. That's the new covenant. Praise God. And we, like, we need to be more like Jesus. We need to be more like God. Hallelujah. Be merciful. That's the grace of God. And so Jesus set us free so we could live the free life. And it's the free life is, is not, it's not law. Amen? It's not law. You got to let Jesus live his life through you. And if we go back to Galatians chapter 5, he said, whoever is circumcised, whoever is trusting their performance, you're a debtor to do the whole law. And he says, Christ in verse 4 has become of no effect to you. Whoever you're justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. If you're justified by your performance, you are fallen from grace. And when when Paul used this term fallen from grace in Galatians 5 verse 4, I don't think he's talking about, you know, I don't think he's talking about major sin. I think he's just talking about legalism in context. And if you're legalistic, you're going to, I don't think it's talking about losing your salvation or rejecting your salvation. I think it's talking about um, you're going to miss out on the benefits of grace if you're trusting your performance instead of just relying on grace. So I'm here to tell you, trust in the grace of God. Rely on Jesus. Make it about him and not about you. And you're going to get a lot farther with God. You're going to receive a lot more. Amen? But Jesus set us free to live the free life. And the, the, the grace life is a good life. We're free to live, free to love, free to serve, free to forgive, and free to give. Amen? Hallelujah. Isn't it marvelous? We get to do this. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. The kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, is not meat and drink, but righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. The second thing when we begin to look at this, Jesus said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now when Jesus said that, what he was saying is, I am your freedom. I'm the only one that can make you free. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. And he is the truth, right? He, and so John 14, 6 says this, no man comes to the Father except by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I turned that around. Amen? But Jesus is the truth. He's the embodiment of the truth. The Bible actually says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, that, uh, that we have been taught that the truth is in Jesus. Jesus, he is the embodiment of truth. He is the truth, period. When you look at this, if you go to John chapter 1, in verse 12... Jesus said this, as many as received him, or John says this about Jesus, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name, which were born not of the blood. That's not mere human birth. 
To be saved, you've got to be born of God. You've got to be born again. Nor of the will of the flesh. It's not by your performance. It's not by your good deeds. It's not by your good works. Nor, he says, of the will of man. It's not by just believing all the right things in your mind. It's not by religion. It's not just by what you think in your mind, but you've got to be born of God. It's a spiritual condition. Your spirit has to be reborn. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Now look at what he says in verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of His fullness we've received grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This is a he of whom I spoke. He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me, and of his fullness, of his abundance, have we all received grace for grace. Thank God, there's more grace. Everybody say, more grace. More grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. You know, when you think about this, truth minus grace equals law. And the law produces death, right? Legalism produces death. You know, in Romans 6, Paul says, since you're born again, since you believed on Jesus, since you've believed, Romans 5, 17, the abundance of grace and received the gift of righteousness. You've been saved. Now you're to reign in life as kings. But you got to understand you're dead to sin. You know, sin will kill you if you keep living in it. And you're, you're dead to sin. You're free from it. You're dead to it. you got authority over it, and it'll kill you. That's Romans 6. Romans 7 says not only are you dead to sin, but you're dead to the law. Because just like sin will kill you, legalism will kill you. Legalism kills. Legalism does not give life. Legalism does not free people. It is deadly. And if you understood how deadly legalism was, you'd stay completely out of it. And I'll tell you, we're all a little bit legalistic about something. Amen? We don't even, I told you some of the things in the law, just a couple of minor things. But, you know, I was teaching at Bible school, and I have this sometimes I'm thinking about something that's bugging me. I'll say, oh, Jesus. Like, and what I mean is like, Jesus, help us. I usually say, Jesus, help us. But I said that one day, talking about a situation, and this guy, you know, went and told Andrew Womack. He said, Lawson is in there. You know, I'm passionate. He's cussing from the pulpit. And listen, this guy does not understand my heart, and he doesn't know where I came from. Man, when I grew up, cussing was cussing, and man, I can tell you what, I could cuss better than most of you. Talk about legalism. I was in Chicago, and I was preaching this. I said, you know, I grew up with cows. They make you cuss, and now I pastor a church. Man, I said, I said this a number of years back. I said, I may not cuss every week, but I think about cussing, because these people make you want to cuss. And man, this lady was mad at me because she said, I, because I said, I think about cussing. I'm like, my God, how legalistic can you be? Anyway, Andrew Womack told this guy, Andrew knows my heart. He said, you better go talk to Lawson about that. So he came and I said, okay, I'm sorry that I offended you. But I said, uh, I did not take it that way. This is what I meant, so on and so forth. I said, I'll try to say something different. I'll say, Lord, help us. Amen. Just you know, but people get, they get legal, people get, and grace people, I'm telling you, grace people, and I'm a grace person, they can get really, really legal, legalistic. But the law, the truth minus grace equals law, and legalism, however you cut it, produces death. 
Truth plus grace equals Jesus and he gives life. But it's grace plus truth that bring freedom. And grace frees us. Grace empowers us to walk in the truth. Without the grace of God, you really can't walk in the truth. And truth relies on grace to live free. I mean, you, you have to rely on the grace of God to live free. You can't live free apart from the grace of God. Amen. Jesus is the only one who can make you free. And Jesus is the embodiment of truth and of grace. He is the truth. You know, when you look at this as we go back, you know, in John chapter 8, when you look at this after Jesus said, if the Son therefore shall make you free or set you free, you shall be in free, free indeed. They got really, really mad. Do you know Jesus made some people mad? And you know what Jesus was really saying? Jesus was saying, I am your freedom. Jesus, if you study this out, Jesus was saying, I am your jubilee. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. Do you know this is what Jesus uh, started his ministry out with? And if you go back to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus started out in the ministry when he was 30 years old, uh, he went and he was baptized in the River Jordan by John, and then he went in the wilderness, was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he returned in the power of the Spirit. And he, he went to his hometown, Nazareth, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they gave him the scroll of Isaiah to read. And he found the place where it was written. You know, he'd studied it. And he found what we understand to be uh, Isaiah 61, Verse 1 in the first half of verse 2. And he stopped right in the middle of verse 2. And he began to read this and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach freedom, to preach deliverance to the captives, restoration of sight to the blind, to preach liberty. Again, freedom to those who are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stopped right in the middle of verse 2. Once he did that, he closed the book. And he said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now listen, Jesus could have preached about the Messiah coming for their great-grandchildren and nobody would have cared. Jesus could have preached about the revival that they had hundreds of years ago with the prophets and nobody would have cared. You can get up today and you can preach about the revival that your great-grandmother had and nobody cares. You can preach about the revival that your great-grandchildren are going to have and nobody cares. But if you start saying today is the day, now is the time, right here, right now, God wants to heal people, God wants to bless people, God wants to help people, God wants to prosper, you start saying right here, right now, and you know what? You're going to make some old religious frog mad. Because religion, you know, Jesus, they said, who is this? This is Joseph's son. Who does he think he, you know what Jesus was saying? He was literally saying, I am your jubilee. I am the anointed one. And freedom is here now. Not tomorrow, right here, right now. And then to top it all off, when they begin to question him, say, isn't this Joseph's son? Didn't he play ball with our kids? Isn't he a carpenter? What's he think he is? Who's he ever healed? You know, Jesus had never healed anyone till that day. 
To top this all off, Jesus said, you know what? There were lots of widows in the day of Elijah the prophet, but he was only sent to one in Zarephath. And he said there were lots of lepers in the time of Naaman, and he used two Gentiles. But he was only sent to Naaman the city. You know what he was saying? You have to have faith. You've got to believe this to receive it. And if you don't believe it, you're not going to receive it. And you know what? If you want to make people mad, number one, preach the grace of God. Preaching the grace of God will make religious people mad. But if you really want to make them mad, preach faith. Say, I am a word of faith preacher. And you'll make some people mad because they don't like the word of faith. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, the word is near you even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith that we preach. You know what he was saying? He was saying God's already done the work through his grace, through what Jesus did on the cross in his death and resurrection, and the ball is in your court. You know what Jesus said this day in Luke chapter 4? He was saying, listen, I am your jubilee. I am your freedom. Freedom is here, but if you're going to receive it, You've got to believe it. And you know what they tried to do? They tried to run him off the hill and kill him. And if you preach the grace of God, did you know what? You're going to make some religious people mad. I had preached grace in, in the book of Romans years ago. I preached four messages on grace, and I'd preached two or three of them. And when I got to my office on Monday morning, this lady was on the answering service. I just finished Romans chapter 5 and she said pastor what are you saying we can just go live in sin <laughs> and I called her up and said come back next week because the very next verse says shall we continue in sin that grace may abound if you if you haven't preached it that strong you haven't really adequately preached grace Paul says God forbid no that's not what I'm saying but you've got to understand it's grace that saves you and not you that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you and not you that saves you. That's preaching grace. And if you preach grace, you're going to make some people mad. But if you preach faith, you're really going to make them mad. And I'm quoting the scripture when I quote Romans chapter 10 verse 8. And that makes some people mad. And you know what Jesus did? He said, I am the grace of God. If you study out. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and verse 19, when he said to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What he was saying is, I have come to preach the day of God's grace. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am your jubilee. You don't have to wait for 50 years. You don't have to wait another day. You can believe God right now and you can receive it. So he preached the grace of God, and then, it, then when they got mad and they began to question, he said, oh, yeah, there were lots of people. There were lots of widows, but only one Gentile got it because she believed it. And he went a little farther and said there were lots of lepers, but a, another Gentile got it because he believed it. Whoo, you talk about making religious people mad. They tried to run him off and kill him. You know what? Jesus hadn't healed anybody up to that time, but by that night, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and they began to bring him sick people from every place around of all kinds of diseases and, and demon-possessed people. And he cast out the spirits with the word, and he laid his hands on them, and he healed every one of them. 
Jesus Christ is a healer. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word is working. But I'm telling you, we have watered down the word. We have compromised the message. We are afraid of people. We are afraid of that we're going to make somebody feel bad. And, and we're, it's pathetic. You know, I got a call about six weeks ago and one of my cousins called me. She's over 60 years old and her son had a surgery. A little hernia went in to, to have fixed. He's 40 years old. And, and he had a blood clot, and it went to his brain, and he had a stroke. And the doctors were giving them zero hope. Like he was not moving, he was not talking, they were giving them zero hope. And she, go, she grew up in the same church that I did. I grew up in a traditional church. We preach salvation and not much anything else. Right? They don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They believe may, maybe God will heal you if he wants to, you know. They don't get many people, but we get people saved. Okay, so I will give them that. I got saved. Barbara grew up in a church like me. She got saved there. Barbara's church, actually, one day the preacher got up and read where they spoke in tongues in the Bible. And she was about seven or eight years old and said, speaking in tongues is of the devil. And then they read these scriptures. And you know what Barbara got out of it? That's in the Bible, and that's for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You should, that is like the dumbest thing, reading the scripture and then preaching against it. I've had that happen. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Where the Bible says, you know, concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. I've, I've, had, I've had a Pentecostal preacher read that and preach against it. I'm like, stupid. Man, why would you use the scripture and then preach against it? Why don't you just preach what it says and try it? But anyway, Barbara grew up in this. But anyway, my cousin, she was scared. She goes to a charismatic church. Now, she did tell me this charismatic church she goes to, they never speak in tongues. They never operate in the gifts of the Spirit. They don't teach really on healing. They don't teach, like, on miracles. But it's, a, it's supposed to be a charismatic church. And she was actually scared to call me. She, but she had a vision of me coming and praying for her son and God healing him. So she didn't know what to, in the night, she had this vision. So she called her sister, and her sister is a pastor's wife in the church that I grew up in, this traditional church. And she asked her sister, she said, I had this vision, and I believe I'm supposed to call Austin and have him lay hands on my son, and I believe God's going to heal him. But she said, I'm afraid to, and her sister just told her, if God told you to do that, you better do it. So she called me on a Saturday morning, about six or seven, eight weeks, I don't know, a while back. And I, I had time. And, and he's in this major hospital in Denver. They'd cut the side of his head off and, you know, school out and all this stuff. And he's laying there. He's not talking. He's not moving. The doctors have given him zero hope. So I go in. There's one guy there. He left. I took oil and I anointed him with oil. I first shared a little scripture, shared some testimonies with him. I said, now sometimes when we pray for people, they're healed immediately. Sometimes it's a process of time. But we've seen lots of people healed. Right? Not everybody we've prayed for has been healed, but we've seen lots of people healed. And I prayed for him. And you know what? He started moving within 24 hours. I don't know if it was later that day or by the next morning, but within 24 hours, he started moving. She called me back this week. She said, I just want to give you a testimony. Now he's talking. He's doing good. And then I got a text from my mother, and her mother called my mother. My mom's sister-in-law called my mom and said, 
hey, he's, he's moving, he's talking, he's doing really good. She called me and testified first, and, and they're getting ready to uh, send him to Craig's Hospital for rehabilitation. And the doctors, the doctors say it's a miracle. Amen? Well, thank God Jesus is the same. But what I'm telling you is we've watered down the message, and we're afraid to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Jesus just did not operate like that. When they started questioning him, he just pushed, the, pushed it a little farther and said, you know what, you've got to believe it to receive it, and if you don't believe it. And then he went out after that when they tried to throw him off the hill and kill him, but he knew it wasn't his time yet and got out of there. Then he went out after that and began to demonstrate what he was preaching. We need not only a proclamation of the gospel, we need a demonstration of the gospel. Jesus is the same. And so Jesus preached this. I, what he was saying is, I am your jubilee. And you know, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 25, the Jews understood this. When Jesus, this is how he opened his ministry. Do you know the first message that I preached in church when I started my first church in Kit Carson? In 1988. May of 1988, right after I graduated from high school. Amen. The first Sunday morning message I preached was Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind. To preach, right? The acceptable year of the Lord, the day of God's grace. I, I didn't even know some of the things that I'm telling you. But what Jesus was literally saying, and they knew what He was saying. And that's why He offended them. Jesus was saying, I am your jubilee. You don't have to wait. Amen? And I'm telling you, if you tell people about a revival that's coming someday in the sweet by and by and your great-grandkids are going to have revival, they don't care. If you tell them about what the revival that happened in 1900 at Azuzu Street, I believe in all of it. Amen? They don't care. But when you start telling them it's right here and right now and you don't have to wait for it, Right here and right now, God wants to heal you. Right here and right now, God wants to bless you. God wants to help you. I mean, you're going to make some religious people mad, but you might get some people set free. Amen? And when you study Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25, we'll just read verse 8 through verse 10. It's, you will number seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, 49 years. It'll be to you 49 years, and you will cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month in the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and you shall sanctify, hallow, you know, the 50th year and proclaim freedom, proclaim liberty throughout all your land. You know, when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus was saying, I am your jubilee. He was saying, it's right here and right now, and you got to believe it. And every man will return to his possession, and you'll return every man to his family. Praise God. He's saying, you got to get back to your proper place. Jesus came to restore you to fellowship with your Father. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And not only every man to his own family, everybody to his possession. 
Jesus came to restore us everything that Adam lost in the garden. You come back to your right place in the family and come back to what Adam lost in the garden. There are seven results. Amen. Come back to your family. Come back to your possession. He says you'll eat the increase thereof. He said you'll not oppress one another. Boy, there is a whole message in that. Boy, so many of the church just involved in fighting one another. We need to quit fighting one another and just love Jesus. Lawson Purdue is included in that. Preaching to myself. He said, notice this in verse 14 and 17. He says, not oppress one another. Verse 21 says this, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year and it will bring forth fruit for three years. You'll live in supernatural increase. Everybody say supernatural increase. Listen, and I don't believe you have to wait till the seventh year or the 50th year to get it. I believe you can live in supernatural increase all the time. And you know what? I'm receiving what I'm believing, so don't tell me it doesn't work. It's not no less than supernatural what happens in our life. Glory to God. And if you believe it, you'll start receiving it. Verse 35, your brother that's waxing poor and fallen in decay, then you will relieve him. In other words, all debts will be forgiven. Man, how many of you ever had some debts forgiven? Are you saved? If you're saved, you've had some debts forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. How many of you had other debts forgiven? Boy, Aaron preached a message about a month and a half ago on release from Deuteronomy chapter 15, the year of release. And God, Spirit of God, got all over me and told me to forgive a person a debt. It was a missionary. We had helped him with the property. And God said, release it. He said, forgive it. Let it go. And I'm telling you, since we did it, it's like, we're living under an open heaven. I mean, we could. God has helped us, and he's helping us. Hallelujah. And he's going to help us more and more. If I'm correct, I may be wrong, but I believe he's going to help us more and more. I believe you ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, he gave me a word on Wednesday night, and Wednesday night, I, I didn't share it, but during worship on last Wednesday night, he gave me a word. He said, I have set things in order from the top to the bottom. He said, I have divine appointments that are coming. And he said, you're going to have so much increase, it's going to be hard to deal with it. Hallelujah. I believed it so much, I sent, went and texted it to my daughter-in-law and my son after church about 930. Amen. Barbara said, why didn't you share it? I don't know. I believe we're, we're living in commanded blessing. Debt's forgiven. And all slaves go free. And if I'm reading my Bible right, the, the Israelites, every seven years, if there was any Israelite brother that got in debt and that became enslaved, every seventh year they forgave them. But on the 50th year, they forgave everybody. And everybody went free. Praise God. And so Jesus is our freedom. Amen. You need to get to know Jesus, and you need to let Jesus live his free life through you. Amen. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.